July 6th. As we look into the New Testament, today we'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. How do the unsaved go about opposing the Lord's servants and their work? Tertullus, the lawyer, started with flattery, knowing that many people in high places are susceptible to it. Flattery appeals to our pride. If we did not flatter ourselves, others could not successfully flatter us. See, we really want to believe what they say. Then Tertullus used slander. Napoleon said, He who knows how to flatter also knows how to slander. As his last weapon, the lawyer called on false witnesses who together supported Tertullus's lies about Paul. And yes, they indeed were all lies. Paul's defense was threefold, his life, his faith, and his service to his nation. Although his enemies could not prove their accusations, Paul did not go free. The safest place for Paul was in that prison, for God had work for him to do in Rome. The principle for you and me is this. You may not understand why God permits lies to triumph, But leave it all in His hands. He's in control. And the final judgment rests with Him. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. July 6th, Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish leaders and the lawyer, Tertullus, to press charges against Paul. When Paul was called in, Tertullus laid charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. Your Excellency, you have given peace to us Jews and have enacted reforms for us. And for all of this, we are very grateful to you. But lest I bore you, kindly give me your attention for only a moment as I briefly outline our case against this man. For we have found him to be a troublemaker a man who is constantly inciting the Jews throughout the world to riots and rebellions against the Roman government. He is a ringleader of the sect known as the Nazarenes. Moreover, he was trying to defile the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything Tertullus said was true. Now it was Paul's turn. The governor motioned for him to rise and speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, and this gives me confidence as I make my defense. You can quickly discover that it was no more than twelve days ago that I arrived in Jerusalem to worship at the temple. I didn't argue with anyone in the temple, nor did I incite a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men certainly cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But I admit that I follow the way, which they call a sect. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the books of prophecy. I have hope in God, just as these men do, that He will raise both the righteous and the ungodly. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and everyone else. After several years away, 
I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ritual. There was no crowd around me and no rioting. But some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here what wrongdoing the Jewish high council found in me, except for one thing I said when I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, Wait until Esaias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was terrified. "'Go away for now,' he replied. "'When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again.' He also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Two years went by in this way. Then Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish leaders, he left Paul in prison. I'm Pastor George Porcard, and this is another Higher Things video short. You don't have to control everything. That's the subject of today's Higher Things video short. Jesus, he shows us that outside of our understanding and outside of what we could scheme or plan is a universe where God loves us in the giving up of his son. If we were left to plan and scheme and manipulate and make things turn out for our good on our own, we would have never come up with Christ. As the poet said, we were looking for a king to slay our foes and to lift us high, but thou comest a little baby thing that made a woman cry. He comes and he saves us unexpectedly. Um, uh, being such a savior as we could never have figured out on our own, taking on upon himself our sins, dying the death we deserve, and rising again on the third day, and ascending on high to the very right hand of all majesty and glory, our King, our God, our Jesus. Oftentimes, we, we all try to do it, plan everything out so we say the right thing at the right time, that we scheme the right scheme, that we're prepared. We uh, live in the universe of, of the Roman poet Virgil, fortune favors the prepared mind. We think that if we just have everything worked out, then we can move the chess pieces and life, life will turn out the way we want. And it is good to be prepared and it's good to, to uh, have everything sort of planned out, but we, we go too far controlling and manipulating other people to bend them to our will. Like chess pieces on a board, we move them. And it's not godly. And we know it. And we tell ourselves that the end justifies the means, but in reality, we really don't. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, includes us. We aren't to be our own gods planning and scheming our lives in advance. So free 
is Jesus, so free that he can tell us not to prepare in advance what we are going to say about him and to trust that the Spirit will give us the words. That is a freedom that believes that God is going to turn our right answers right and our wrong answers right for our good. That he's going to make the universe good for us, even when it goes wrong for us. And that we, we are on the receiving end of a God who loves us so much that he gave up his son for us. Don't have to control everything because there was one God who gave up seemingly the control of everything, took upon himself our flesh, died, laid aside the control of everything, that's better, took upon himself our flesh, died the death we deserve and rose again on the third day. He laid his life in the hands of a God who judges justly. And so his death and resurrection teach us of a universe where God cares for us and we can prepare, but ultimately, Leave it to him to come up with answers and situations that we would never ever come up on our own and that carry us through even death itself to life everlasting. After all, he is Jesus, the one who saved us. We can trust him. Today we're reading Psalm 4, verses 1 through 8. David wrote this psalm as he was about to retire for the night. He could not do much about the war around him, but he could do something about the war within him. He did not want to lie in bed and worry, so he committed himself and his situation to the Lord. He did that by asking. Asking the Lord for help is still a very good way to deal with inner turmoil, and he believed. He faced his anger honestly and gave it to the Lord. Instead of lying in bed and thinking about your problems, meditate on the Lord and offer Him sacrifices of praise, even in the midst of difficulty, which is actually the very best time. And He received. In the darkness, He saw the face of God and received light. In His sorrow, He discovered the gift of gladness. In the time of battle, He received peace. God did not immediately change the situation, but He did change David, and He can do the same for you.